The federal government is picking on the states again, but this time it sends private emissaries to condemn land. Michael Diamond and Steve Bouton from the law firm of Van Ness Feldman are here to talk about a recent eminent domain case, relatively fresh from the Supreme Court. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Hope you're having a great day out there wherever you might be. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we're covering a really important topic, one that I think did not get nearly enough news attention. But before we get into it, we need to thank our sponsor for supporting our show, Noda. Noda is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda. No-cost IOLTA management tool to help solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And remember, terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's welcome our guests, Michael Diamond and Stephen Bouton from the law firm of Van Ness Feldman. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Happy to be here. Absolutely, guys. Mike, I've got a question for you, uh, just an opener here. So your last name's Diamond. And for real, how many people ask about your affiliation with the Beastie Boys? Oh, not that many. It's only a very specific generation that knows, but the people who know get very excited about it. You know, I have to admit, I did. I was like, I'm going to interview Michael Diamond. A lot of my friends are going to be jealous. So thanks for yeah. hearing me on that uh, little warm up question. So, well, gentlemen, thanks so much for uh, joining us here. And uh, we're talking about the Penn East Pipeline versus New Jersey case, a uh, relatively new case that came out of the Supreme Court. So, like we did in our law school days when we talk about a case, you know, we go back to the facts. So, could one of you just give a quick flyby that summary of facts for this case? Absolutely. So the case starts, um, Penn East is a joint venture trying to build a pipeline from northeastern Pennsylvania to central New Jersey, largely trying to take advantage of like cheaper transportation costs and gas. Pipeline's about 120 miles, about a third of it runs through New Jersey, and pipelines need to be certificated from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, also known as FERC. FERC approved the pipeline in January of 2018. But about 42 parcels of land that would need to be condemned to build the pipeline run are owned or either outright or there are easements held by the state of New Jersey. And so New Jersey, when Penn East filed their condemnation action to take the land, New Jersey asserted a sovereign immunity defense in the District Court of New Jersey. And the court ended up holding for the pipeline, saying that they couldn't assert that defense and it was appealed to the Third Circuit. The Third Circuit vacated um, the portion of the district court's order that condemned the New Jersey lands, holding that really the issue here was that the federal eminent domain power that was being exercised was, in fact, a two-part power. One is the eminent domain power, and the other is the ability to condemn or to sue non-consenting states. And then, so this decision was then appealed again to the Supreme Court the question for the court to review was really whether the federal government could constitutionally confer on pipeline companies the authority to condemn necessary rights of way in which the state has an interest, which is just a long way of saying, can the federal government delegate its eminent domain authority and properly take state's land? Yeah. And real quickly, just, uh, you know, what did the Supreme Court decide on that question? So the Supreme Court said, yes, a private actor with FERC's delegated authority is allowed to sue a state and take state land. And this goes to the Natural Gas Act, which is the governing statute that allows the FERC to confer upon states this eminent domain authority upon private actors. 
Okay, and so I, I want to build out the baseline here because, you know, this case result does kind of put a little bit of a twist in those uh, traditional notions of eminent domain. And so obviously a case like this involves uh, the 11th Amendment, but the traditional notion is that the federal government could come in, they can take state land via eminent domain, and then, you know, they can bring on a private company to come develop that land. So can you just walk us through that traditional process of how this used to work before this case came out? So this goes back to the Natural Gas Act, which was passed in 1938, and the eminent domain authority was added to that about 10 years later. And so it's always, it's been the common understanding throughout the entire history of this that state, that the FERC could in fact delegate the eminent domain authority to the pipeline company, and the pipeline company could then condemn state land. The Third Circuit holding was sort of an aberration that threatened to sort of undo all of this. But this really was decades and decades of history, which the Supreme Court really just put back in its place. It had only temporarily been undone at the Third Circuit. One thing that wasn't clear to me was why didn't the federal government just come in, take this land itself, and then you know hand it over to the private company rather than go through all of this exercise of putting forth the private company in its stead? Right. So this is the way that it goes. It's the private company that's building the pipeline. It comes forward and proposes what the what the whole facility is going to look like, where the route's going to be. And it's a long proceeding to get that authority. But this happens all the time. And there's you know tens of thousands of miles of pipeline across the country that's been that's been condemned. So it's just part of the process that it's going to be the pipeline company that's acting on its own behalf with the delegated authority. It wouldn't really make that much sense for, sense for the FERC to be filing individual lawsuits against individual you know, parcels of land, even if they're state-owned. Do you think the result would have been different if this, this private company had actually been a foreign company? Let's say a company from China with deep-seated ties to the Chinese government. Do you think this would have been allowed uh, with the court's analysis? Yeah, I don't think it would have made a difference. I, mean, I think the real threshold is in granting the certificate itself, granting this power. But once that certificate is granted to the private company, then the power is conferred. So, you know, and there's already plenty of plenty of pipeline companies that have, you know, some, you know, foreign investors. So I don't think that would be a huge factor. I want to transition over into sovereign immunity. And so let's say in the process of developing this land, uh, this private company injures people. Now, since they've sort of stepped into the shoes of a federal actor, do they have that same type of sovereign immunity like a federal entity does? No, they don't. They really are only getting the condemnation power. But that aside, they don't have any additional sovereign immunity. Okay. Now I want to circle back uh, to the decision in this case. It was a narrow decision, as I understand, a 5-4 decision here. And there was a lot of pushback against deciding the way they did. So what was it that got the majority opinion over the hump? What legal authority did they rely on when they made their decision? So there's really a long history in the case law here that the that both sides really uh, don't address in a lot of depth in the opinion. But, you know, essentially there are three ways in which an actor can sue a sovereign power like a state. And one is with is the obvious one, it's with their consent. But absent that, sort of the Constitution allows, and the way the Supreme Court has interpreted it, is it allows that for Congress to abrogate a state's immunity from suit. And this is a little bit complicated, but they have to essentially unequivocally express that that is what they're doing by their act. And they have to act pursuant to 
um, you know, a, an appropriate power, right? Um, a valid exercise of their power, which is really part of what the dissent is arguing here. But we'll come back to that. The third way that you can sue a state is, you know, what this case really turned on, which is whether or not a state has waived its power of immunity in what they call the plan of the convention, which is the concept here is that, you know, when the states entered into the Constitution with the federal government, there were certain powers that they gave to the federal government. And because the federal government in these in its role is supreme, they sort of waived certain rights when the federal government acts in that way. And so the court was saying, you know, in this case, eminent domain power has been around in the common law well before the, the nation was founded. It was understood, and that understanding is reflected in things like the Fifth Amendment, which attempt to put some constraints or some terms on that ability to exercise the authority. And so the majority is saying, look, we have always had the, the, the court has always had our, or the federal government has always had this power. The states have also, as sovereign entities, had this power. But the federal power is supreme to that of the states when the federal government is acting within its domain. And so the states waived their ability to have immunity when the federal government exercises its eminent domain authority. All right. Now, one thing I did not understand fully was the dissent's use of the Commerce Clause. They they made that argument that the Commerce Clause would forbid what the majority wanted to do. So can you flush that out just a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a long history here. So there's two sort of sets of cases. One that sort of goes along the, the, the line of what is the do- eminent domain power and when can it be exercised? And the other is these abrogation cases. And the court sort of had to address this in the 90s, they had a, a few cases where we were dealing with particularly the Commerce Clause, right? And the court had to figure out, well, are Article One powers in the Constitution a valid exercise that could abrogate sovereign immunity? And they ultimately held that it, it was not, even when Congress speaks clearly, because Article One powers are sort of um, tend to be more sort of inferior. It wouldn't be readily understood, except for in some some minor cases. So like, for instance, in the bankruptcy context, you know, Article One sort of makes uh, the bankruptcy power of the federal government sort of preeminent there. And that's more obvious. But the only place in which the court has affirmatively held after these cases in the 90s, that state sovereign immunity could be abrogated by Congress is when Congress acts pursuant to sort of its enforcement powers under the 14th Amendment. And a really high level rationale there is, well, the 14th Amendment's obviously ratified much later. It was intended um, to curb the power of the states. And so under this authority, Congress can properly abrogate, but it can't simply do so just by acting pursuant to a law under its Commerce Clause jurisdiction. All right. uh, Last question for you guys here. When I originally drafted this question, my assumption was that this uh, decision at the Supreme Court put a new wrinkle in eminent domain. But as your analysis has uh, ferreted out a little bit here, this basically just kind of restored something that was already in place. So here's my question for you to close out the show. You know, obviously, I don't think the state, uh, you know, any state in all of our 50, you know, like the idea of the federal government coming in and saying, you know, we're going to take this land. But obviously, that's part of the deal. If you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be the United States, that there are certain compromises that have to be made. But uh, in theory, when can the state say no? You know, the federal government wants to come in, federal government, they gave a certification to a private actor. When are they safely within their power to say, no, we do not want this land developed. We cannot have it's dangerous or we're trying to protect species. Is there, in theory, an instance when the state can say no? 
Well, at least in this in this context, that instance is in the proceeding in which the FERC is determining whether to grant a certificate. So the states participate in these proceedings and they, they raise the issues you're talking about. But once the FERC makes that decision and grants the certificate authorization, it's conferring that eminent domain authority and the state's out of luck at that point. And the broader context here is that, you know, for the purposes of the test that the court is announcing is, well, this sort of preeminence only follows if the federal government is acting within its constitutional authority. So for instance, a state could easily challenge the federal government if it was stepping outside of its powers, right? And now we know that that would not extend to Article One, but it would extend to something that, you know, for instance, like eminent domain that has been practiced since before the founding of, of the country. Well, Michael and Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoy talking with you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please leave it as many stars as the law will allow in your favorite podcasting app. And also one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Thank you so much, Noda. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew. They never sleep, at least tell Brooklyn. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Cluddy. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 